This is the Commonwealth City Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. Commonwealth is a church in Lexington, Kentucky. For more info, visit our website at commonwealthcitychurch.com and follow us on Instagram at comcitychurch. We hope you enjoy the message. It is, uh, as we get into the month of August, we've, we've come to a conclusion with our Psalms series. Um, our Psalms series, we do that every summer. We spend the summer in the Psalms. We learn scripture together. We, we sing them together. Uh, we've been kind of sharing our teaching element with that as well. You've got to see a bunch of different faces um, from Trey, who did a great job a couple weeks ago. I hope you tuned in to Justin Luttrell, uh, even though it was one of the Sundays that we weren't meeting in person. Um, and Kurt, thank you so much for the way that you extended leadership through the Psalm series and all the work you did to put so many of those songs, Psalms to lyrics. Um, now we're entering into our fall semester, and this fall we, we're kind of changing pace a little bit. The last couple years, we've been really dedicated to walk through, um, you know, huge chunks, books of the Bible together. We walked through Hebrews, and we walked through the Gospel of John together. And this fall, we're going to take uh, this fall semester, which starting now, it's weird to say, starting now, and unpack for us what it looks like to to learn and share stories. And we're going to do that by taking biblical stories and character stories of, of people throughout scripture and, you know, giving the context and maybe spending two or three weeks in each one, uh, kind of walking through. And so you'll be seeing some stories through the scriptures that we're going to be inviting you to learn and to love this fall. We're going to start with one today, um, the story of Jacob from Genesis chapter 32. And so I want to invite you to stand with me, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32. We're going to be reading verses 22 through 31. And let's stand at the reading of the word of God. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he set them across, and as he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, it was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? He replied, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven, struggled with God and with man, and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you asked my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called in the name of the place of Peniel saying, for I have seen God face to face and yet my life has been delivered. And the sun rose upon him as he passed limping because of his hip. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much uh, for this story of truth and identity that you offer us today. I pray that you just let it be massaged into our hearts, to our minds, and to our souls. Um, the same identity that Jacob is encouraged to walk in, that we too are encouraged to walk in. We're called out in. Uh, Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray that you preach that second sermon that, that is louder and clearer and, and has more clarity to our hearts than even what I would say or attempt to speak. And Jesus, we, we trust you and ask, ask in all these things that you're glorified. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys can be seated. So today we're talking about identity. We're going to be, I'm going to give you a little rundown through the month of August. So we're using the Jacob story today from Genesis 
32 and really starting back a few chapters before, chapter, I think it's 28, uh, on through 35 is, is kind of the whole, whole of Jacob's story. We're using that as a gateway to enter a, a conversation for the rest of the month where we start to unpack the identity that we, as followers of Jesus, yes, but as specifically as Commonwealth City Church are called to walk into. In some ways, the month of August is becoming kind of a revisioning month for us to just make sure that some of the things that we hope everyone's getting, we know everyone's getting. Does that make sense? And so we want to do that with, with real, a real humility, but also a real stewardship so that you are equipped and empowered to walk in the identity that the Lord has called you out in. Um, we're going to start by looking at uh, a familiar headline for me over the past six months, and that's the New York Times. I feel like I have checked the New York Times and other news agencies probably far more, far past whatever is considered healthy over the past six months. But I'm reminded of a headline of an article from October 6, 2015, that says the year we're obsessed over identity. This was an op-ed written in, in 2015, if we're honest with one another, I don't know that 2015 gets the monopoly on the year we're obsessed with our identity. I think it's been 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, and all the way up. And if you were to read the article, you can go Google it. I certainly would invite you to do that if you want. If you were to read the article, it's kind of a take on some popular culture references, some, some references uh, in the transition or the, what was assumed to be the transition. We didn't know who was going to be the president of the United States on October 6, 2015, but we knew that the previous administration was coming to a close. So it was, it was talking about identity. And with that in view of transitioning kind of presidents and, and policies. It was talking about movies and music and, and media and all sorts of things and how we are just people that are obsessed over identity. In fact, if you were to just spend a week on Instagram archiving or screenshotting stories or posts that are, that are relevant to our identities, your phone would be out of data by the time that you stored all the things that you saw. Just to give you a bit, if we look next at some quotes, you may or may not be able to read these. I don't know how large they'll show up on the screen, but I'm going to give you some that some are close and some are way off. But the first one here, knowing yourself is the beginning of wisdom from the philosopher Aristotle. Life isn't about finding yourself. Life is about creating yourself. George Bernard Shaw. Who in the world am I? Ah, that is the great puzzle. Lewis Carroll. You may know him as the author of Alice in Wonderland. We know what we are, but not what we may be. William Shakespeare. The modern day prophet Jay-Z said, Identity is a prison you can never escape. But the way you redeem your past is not to run from it, but to try to understand it and use it as a foundation to grow. Actually, Jay-Z, that one's fairly close. I'll give you some credit on that one. Um, Dr. Seuss, be who you are and say what you feel because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. And then the current queen of identity, Taylor Swift, you are what you love. Now, we could go through and pick each one of these apart. I could create some enemies in the room if I dog Taylor Swift too hard, um, or Jay-Z maybe. But we can pick out that these tickle our ears and might tickle our hearts, but they are a far cry from the truth that we see and know in Scripture. For example, 
Knowing yourself is the beginning of wisdom. Sounds good until you read the proverb where it says the beginning of wisdom is what? It's the fear of the Lord. Or who in the world am I? That is a great puzzle. That's like, man, I can relate. Sometimes I wonder until you realize that the scriptures invite you to recognize that you are created in the image of God. You are dearly loved and passionately pursued by by a Christ who put on bones and blood to come for you. You are what you love. It's potentially even a tragic reminder that if I'm not careful, I'll be anything and everything but the best that heaven has to offer. And so if we look at just the identity statements and identity invitations that are available to us, we come to the conclusion that most of the world is drastically and even tragically out of sync. In fact, this past six months should have reminded you of that in and of itself. Have you been out of sync? I've been out of sync. In fact, I've also put too much weight on what I'm able to do. Anybody else guilty of that? I am totally guilty of putting too much weight on what I've been able to accomplish, what comes from me, or what I can produce, rather than on who I am. And sometimes in this past six months of, you know, more isolation than I've ever lived in in my life, um, I have thought who I am has changed because of what I've been limited to do or accomplish. You see how quickly that over issues in our heart and issues in our soul, this concept of identity quickly gets undermined and the rug quickly gets pulled out from under it. And that's why it's so important uh, for us to come to the story of Jacob today, because it's easy to forget who we are. And it's easy to put the weight or the expectation of who we are into what we do rather than what God's done for us and who God ultimately is. And so we meet Jacob in Genesis 32. And we meet him and he is weary and alone. The same night that he, that he arose and took his wives, his servants, his children, he sent them across the stream and everything else, and Jacob was left alone. Now, I'll give you a little background on Jacob. Most of the time when we try to preach blocks of scripture, we kind of hang out there. But Jacob needs some background uh, structure for you. Jacob has lived up to this point in his life as a man constantly on the run and constantly caught up in deception. In fact, he came out of the womb, the Bible says, as a twin, holding on to the heel of his brother that was born minutes before. He was striving to be number one even as he was born. In fact, it was that brother brother Esau that he deceived out of his birthright over a bowl of stew. That seems like it wasn't worth a whole lot. And then he went on to deceive his father, Isaac, to give Jacob, the younger one, his covenantal blessing. It was because of that deception that his own mom conspired with him for him to run away and not face the wrath of, of his brother who real, would realize that his blessing had been stolen from him. So, so Jacob takes to running, not the first time in his life, takes to running, and he runs to his uncle's place where he discovers this girl that just lit up his life. And he works for seven years and serves his future father-in-law, his uncle Laban, for seven years. And then the night that he is to be wed to Rachel, he crawls into the tent. And listen, I don't know um, 
Like if you've ever been to the gorge and your flashlight doesn't work and it's like super pitch black, but there was no electricity and there was nothing going on. And so he crawled into the tent with who he assumed was his wife. And the next morning he discovered that it was his wife's sister. Jacob had again been caught up in deceit, but this time it was the deceit of his father-in-law, not the deceit of himself. His father-in-law had an older daughter named Leah that didn't want to bring shame on the family for her being married second to her younger sister. And so the father-in-law Laban snuck Leah in to be the one to be married or the one that the wedding would be consummated or the marriage would be consummated with. And so Jacob was distraught. He was upset. He was swindled and schemed. And, and he decided that that wasn't good enough. And he wanted to still work and, and stir for the hand of Rachel. So for seven more years, he did this. I mean, ironically got to marry. We don't condone this. One wife is plenty. Definitely one sibling. Okay. Like we don't condone this now, but, but he was able to marry both Rachel and Leah and fit himself fully into the family of Laban. But that's where deceit catches up with him again. Laban would promise him shares of the, of the inheritance, shares of the wealth and then those would change and those would be exchanged and those were constantly moving. And so Jacob, frustrated with his deceitful father-in-law, steals away all the stuff that he thinks is rightfully his and runs off with his two wives now, and which are sisters, and two servants and 11 kids and all these animals and all this herd and all his stuff and runs off away from Laban that's pursuing him, but also caught between him and brother that wants revenge, Esau. And so here you have Jacob on the run between the father-in-law that has deceived him and the brother that he has deceived, and he has nowhere to go, and he is crossing the river uh, in, in duress and in frustration and in weariness and in fear of his own life. He crosses the river, gets his family, gets his things across, comes back on the other side to take a nap, and we find him weary exhausted and alone in the middle of the night. And that's where this portion of our story picks up. It's that in the middle of this, verse 24, Jacob was left there alone, that a man came and wrestled with him until the break of dawn. Jacob didn't know when, didn't know when the fight was picked, who this man was. But as we learn, down in verse 28, verse 30, as we learn in this text as Jacob did while he was wrestling, Jacob was in fact wrestling and grappling, striving with the Lord. I don't know exactly how the Lord manifests himself here. I don't know if it was similar to, if you're familiar with the phrase, the angel of the Lord through the Old Testament. You certainly get that in some places. We just did a study through the book of Judges last summer, which was great, by the way, if you didn't get a chance to be a part of that. Um, and we talked about the angel of the Lord and that being the, the pre-incarnate Christ um, evidence through the Old Testament. And so you get this moment where, where Jacob is wrestling and he's fighting with what we know, what the scriptures tell us is God. We don't know exactly the details around that, but we know it's God. This seems like a really important bit of information to be housed in like 10 verses that don't go into a ton of detail, but sometimes the Bible does that for us. And, and as I'm reading this, I'm thinking to myself, goodness, when it rains, it pours, right? Jacob was on the run. He was alone. He was worn out from getting his family across the river. He was potentially facing his death. He was in the lowest of places ge geographically, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And it is that moment that God shows up to wrestle with him. Let's press pause real quick for a quick application. Isn't it often in our loneliest and lowest moments that God is faithful to show up? 
Isn't it often in the places where we are the most weary and the most exhausted and the most frustrated and the most at the end of our wits and resources and energies and and, and excitement, when we're at the end of all those things, the proverbial end of our rope, that God is the most faithful to show up? And a question we're going to ask at the end, but I'll give you now, is how has the Lord been faithful to show up and meet with you in your most low or most wayward, most on-the-run moments? How has he? Now, why did the Lord show up to Jacob? Was it just to fight him? Okay, you might say, well, yeah, they wrestled. But if you read down toward the end in verse 30, it says that Jacob, Jacob called out his name and, and said, I have seen God face to face and my life has been, it says why God showed up, my life has been delivered or my life has been rescued. So we know that God showed up to meet with Jacob and it appeared to be a wrestling match, a fight. It definitely had some, some effort exchanged, but the fight wasn't to hurt him or hard harm him. It was to rescue him. We mentioned this earlier about our quest for identity and all those quotes that sometimes accompany it. Oftentimes they tickle our ears. They, they whisper to our hearts about our competence, our abilities, our, our you know, super bright future, our giftings, that we are to go out into the world and find ourselves, that we are to be a winner, that we are to decide before we ever get into battle that we are winners and victors. But I think Jacob found out the hard way, just like we often do, the way we take on the identity the Lord has for us is not in our winning, it's in our losing to him. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, if you want to gain your life, if you want to succeed in this world, you don't find it by winning. You've gained your life by doing what? Losing it. For whoever loses their life for whose sake? His. They will surely find it. And so Jacob found out the hard way that he gains a deliverance and a rescue, not in how he prevails or beats this man he's wrestling with, but how he loses to him. Just how he loses to him. Isn't it like God to show up at a time of our incredible weakness and deal with the thing we don't want to deal with? Deal with with stuff that we don't want to deal with? Because that's what he did with Jacob. He shows up He's weary and exhausted. And, and just, just to paint the picture of how weary and exhausted he, he might have been. I don't know if, if you've ever like gone on a, on a big family trip or, or maybe even dealt with, with you know, animals. I need, I need my boy Ben Connor here to, to talk about you know, some cattle herding or whatnot. But could you imagine getting an entire herd of animals across the river, 11 kids, Two women servants, two women wives, all in the middle of the night with no flashlights or no electricity and things being wayward and all your belongings and stuff being all, they would have been exhausting. Also, there were no bridges or, or there was no, he wasn't, he was fording a river, which means he was treading water across it the whole way, completely, completely exhausted. And yet that was the moment that God showed up and said, Jacob, I want to deal with you. How many of us at the end of our ropes find out that God shows up in just those moments and says, that is when I want to deal with you. And I'm like, no, not now. Like, not, don't bring that up now. Can we deal with that later, Holy Spirit? Can we deal with that later? And yet time and time again, I found out in my life that the Holy Spirit says, no, now's a good time. We should deal with that now. Have you ever met someone too that can kill you with their bare hands? Anybody ever done that? 
Um, I saw Eli here earlier, but I know that, that he has been training with a guy at the, at the same gym that I work out in. And um, this guy teaches jujitsu. His name is Mike. So Mike, if you're watching, um, I'm aware that you could kill me with your bare hands. Um, I am fully aware that Mike could probably end my life with a few fingers. You know, like, there's no doubt about it. I could, I could come armed, I could come armored, and I'm pretty sure that, that he would end me. Um, I'm aware of this so much that if I know that if we wrestled or if we fought or if we sparred, the only thing that I would do positive would be what Mike let me do. Does that make sense? And some of you guys might have wrestled with your kids like this. I remember when I was a kid, like, dad would wrestle with me and you know my dad's like you know six four and 300 pounds and I was like this tall and sometimes I would beat him right which is not really possible for me to do that as like a four-year-old but he would allow me to uh, walk in some some victory that maybe I didn't deserve and in some ways that's exactly what's going on with here this man this man of God God in the flesh that's wrestling Jacob how did the Lord Rescue, rescue Jacob. What's well, a beautiful story of, of grace. It's a beautiful story of grace. His life, Jacob's life, was one caught up in, as Butch mentioned earlier, manipulation, deceit, and then cowardice as he run. But yet we see in this story where Jacob wrestles with the Lord and walks out not more of a victim, but walks out blessed. If I'm writing the headline here, if I'm the sports journalist writing the headline here. I don't consider Jacob's end of this interaction to be a moral victory. I consider it to just be a victory, a real victory. The Lord blessed Jacob. It says that he was striving with him all night long. And the only way, like if you think about, it, I mentioned earlier, their fear of the Lord is, is the beginning of wisdom. When you think about God and his might and in his power, like it seems ridiculous to suggest that a mere human would be able to fight with God toe-to-toe -to -toe all night long. Or it even seems ridiculous to suggest that God would even appear so weak. But we have to know that there was a greater picture going on here that the Lord was trying to invite us into. In fact, I've heard it said, God could have easily made Jacob the victim again. But instead, he had for him a path of victory. Isn't that the story of the cross of Jesus? Like, isn't the story, isn't our story, isn't the gospel that we should be made the victim of our sin? That we should be victimized by our sin and by our shame and by the, all of the shortcomings that we ha have, have done between us and the Lord? Shouldn't we be victimized by that? But yet God in his power and his strength and in his glory says, I will willingly be the victim so that you can be the victor and I get the glory from it. That's the story of the gospel. And we get to see it's rooting all the way back in the very first book of the Bible that where we should be made the victim, God calls us the victor, not because of our abilities, but because of his grace. There's something profound about this Jacob story when it comes to me. Jacob's whole life, if we're honest, had been him holding on to the wrong things, hadn't it? He held on to the heel, that didn't get him anywhere. 
He held on to the inheritance. That didn't get him anywhere. He held on to um, trying to manipulate his way into different uh, outcomes of wealth. That didn't get him anywhere. And finally, in this moment of fight with the Lord, we see that his hip is touched, that, a, that his hip is hurt from God, and that his only response in this moment of hurt is to finally hold on to who? The Lord. It's to hold on to God. If I'm honest, there's a threat in my life of me holding on to lesser things than Jesus. We talked about idols a few weeks back and about the things that we can so quickly and easily hold on to. I'll I'll probably never forget a sermon that Brian preached in John chapter 7, which seems like an eternity ago back when we were in John, about no matter how quenched or no matter how, how parched you are to never try to quench your thirst in dirty unclean water that that's only going to make it worse like dirty unclean water doesn't make it better but yet when we hold on to idols and we hold on to some of the things in our life that are less than the lord we are pouring water down our throats that can't do anything but make us sick and ultimately even kill us the story of this divine wrestling match with jacob and the lord is much like our story with the lord that we get to discover what's God, what God's will is for us. Okay, now, now I'm going to be clear here. I don't know who you're supposed to marry someday. I can't tell you that. I don't know what job you're supposed to have. I don't know exactly where you're supposed to live. I don't know all those things. Some of you, I do know who you're supposed to marry because you're married to them, so I can tell you that. You know, you're supposed to stay married to them. Um, I don't know any of those other details, but here's what I do know. And this is something I am, I am fairly confident in saying. I don't know the entirety of the Lord's will for your life, But I know it always includes this, that you cling tightly to Jesus, that you cling tightly to Jesus. And and I know that one of the things that God was wanting to accomplish in the story of Jacob was that for him to discover his will is that God always had plans for Jacob. Like even when Jacob was running away, even when Jacob was scared, even when Jacob was deceiving, even when Jacob was manipulating, God always had plans for Jacob that started generations before Jacob was even born. But what the Lord wanted for Jacob to discover is that the way he gets to God's purpose and plan for his life is not in a self-discovery or not in great identity statements that tickle our ears or our hearts, that the way that we get to the plan and the purposes the Lord has for us is to hold tightly to the one that will carry us there and the one that will see us through. That is how we get to where we're going. That Jacob and us would hold tightly to Christ. And here's grace for this as well, church, because the moments where you fail to hold tightly to Jesus, I believe in a salvation and we preach and proclaim a salvation that says even in the moments that you are weak to hold on to him, he is strong and dedicated to hold on to you. So I can promise you that one perspective of his will for your life is that you hold on to the Lord. So where does Jacob go from here? Well, if you know anything about the story, as we read, it says that, that um, while he was fighting, when he saw man, he did not prevail against him, but he touched his hip and it was put out of joint. And the very last verse that we read said that he has seen God face to face and the sun rose upon him as he passed the city limping because of his hip. Where does Jacob go from here? Well, he walks in a new way as somebody that follows Jesus, somebody that follows the Lord. He also walks with a new name. If you noticed in the text, 
It says, what, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then the man, who's the Lord, said to him, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but you shall be called Israel. If you know what the name Israel means, it's not just a country with a Star David flag, you know, that's in the middle, middle or to near east, whichever you want to call that geography. That, as a, as a nation, is, is a fairly modern development within the last hundred years. But Israel as a people started thousands of years ago in this moment right here. And the word Israel, Israel, literally means struggles or strivings with the Lord. And so Jacob will be known by a new name as somebody that struggles with God. Or really, if we were to even like very artfully use some synonyms here, somebody that struggles with truth, that truth has found him. What do we know God to be? We know him to be true. We know him to be the way. We know him to be the light. We know him to be the Lord, that he struggles with all the characters of who God is, and he does so following him. He's given a new name, and he's given a new walk. In fact, the world should recognize us by a new name and a new walk. We should walk in a manner visibly differently than what the rest of the world would say is successful, than what the rest of the world around us would say is desirable, and what the rest of the world around us would say is even ideal. We should look and walk differently. So that's where we're headed in these next few weeks, for us to learn how to live and walk in a new identity. In fact, I want to go ahead and bring up uh, that triangle on the board, Jagger, if you will. As the next couple of weeks, we're going to be unpacking these three different um, ideas of our, of our identity. And there's, there's a triangle here that we've kind of stolen this from uh, the church in Seattle, Washington, um, at least the triangle logo. But we've mentioned this before on a few Sundays, but we want to make this really, really clear, is that when we encounter God, when we understand what it means to be blessed in the things of the Lord, when we understand that we are blessed to be a blessing, when we understand the gospel, as we mentioned earlier, that we could have been victims, but God made us victors, when that starts to take root in our life, that what that does is call us into a new identity. And that identity is really an understanding the fullness of who God is as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as we understand who he is as a Father, who he is as the Son, Jesus, and who he is as the Holy Spirit of God, we start to see ourselves identified in the world differently. When we rightly see God as our father, recognize what he's done for us, then that makes us his, top one, family. Makes us his family. And then we start to ask questions like, what does it mean to be the family of God? What does the family of God look like? What makes the family of God supremely different than any other family the world has to offer? What does it look like to love like the family of God? What does it look like to lay our lives down like the family of God would? What does it mean to walk in the identity that no matter how much I've messed up, I'm a dearly loved son or daughter? What does it look like to understand grace that's made me part of God's family? We start to walk in that identity. When we understand the son as a different kind of king, we understand that he is not the kind of king that, that you know, rips us away from our families and sends us to, to uh, you know, to, to fight to his, to, to an earthly end or to an earthly goal. We realize that he's the kind of king that leads with humility. He's the kind of king that said, I come having all the land. I don't come to gain any land. I come having all the land and I freely give it away. He's the kind of king that comes with the full inheritance of heaven and says, I'm going to bring heaven to where I am and not try, not, not, not just, you know, 
try to split things up or tear things apart. He's the kind of king that serves. And when we see him as a different kind of king, it invites us to serve that kind of king in a different way, to us to walk differently as a servant in the world. And then lastly, as we recognize the Holy Spirit, we see the Holy Spirit empowers and equips us that everywhere we go, we are what? Missionaries. Everywhere we go. You're not a missionary when you're on a mission trip. You're not a missionary when you go to another country. You're a missionary when you get out of bed every single day. And you're a missionary not because you're you're saying to yourself, I choose to be a missionary today. You're a missionary because the Holy Spirit is saying in your life, you're on mission today. You're on mission at Kroger. You're on mission at the post office. You're on mission in your driveway. You're on mission with your kids. You're on mission everywhere you go. And be able to walk as a family of missionaries that serve Jesus in the world is going to be an identity that we invite every single one of us into. But the blessing of our identity doesn't start with what we do. It doesn't start with how we're missionaries. It doesn't start with how we serve. It starts with the fact that we are these things and we are these things because of who God is and what he's done for us. Does that make sense? And so just like Jacob, we're going to be wrestling with the Lord over these next few weeks. And I think we're going to wind up feeling unbelievably blessed and unbelievably equipped to walk differently as the people of God in the world. Jacob was at first a deceiver, but the Lord reminded him that he had a new name and he walked a new way. And the blessings of your life, are they the consequence of what you've done? If they are, then I invite you to walk in a new identity. And it starts by holding on to a different God than you may have held on to up to this point. Not that he was wrong, but you might have wrapped up a different idol and said, I want to trust this. I want to believe this. I want to hold on to this. And so today, we invite you. You want to start to walk in a new identity? Then grab hold of a different kind of God. Grab hold of Jesus that you may never have. Not the idea of Jesus. Grab hold of Jesus himself and walk differently. Some questions for you as we leave, just to to stir our hearts, stir our thoughts. How has the Lord met with you in your low and lonely moments? How has he been faithful to do that? How would the Lord ask you to lose against what you're wrestling to gain? How would you gain by losing? How would you win by dying in the places of your life? Is it in your relationships? Is it in your job? Is it in your living situation? Is it in uh, some type of approval identity? Where is he asking you to lose? How has the Lord blessed you? In the Jacob story, he blessed him by giving him a different name, by saying he doesn't, have to, he doesn't have to seek the things that he always sought to provide him purpose, that he can hold on to the Lord. The Lord blessed him. It's ironic. In every other place in Scripture, blessings are usually recorded, like they're written out. God or a priest, somebody says a blessing, you almost always get to read it. And in this we don't, which tells me that the Lord has personal blessings in store for each and every one of us. In the same way that Jacob was talked to and blessed to the very condition, to the very thing his heart needed, the Lord would be faithful to do the same to you. And how does God's blessing, how does the Lord's blessing invite you to walk differently in the world? As we unpack how he's blessed you with a new identity to be, a, to be God's family, to be on mission, and to serve Jesus. We're going to be coming back to some of these questions and say, how, how has God blessed us as family? How has he blessed us as 
empowered missionary, sent ones into the world? How has he blessed us as servants of a new king? And how does the way he's blessed us invite us to live and love and lead differently in the world? And I hope that what we discover is that if we trust and follow Jesus, our boy, my boy Zach Mearcreep said this a few months ago, maybe a year ago when he last preached here, that we learn that life with Jesus is not just supremely different, but supremely better than anything we could have at any other end or at any other uh, effort or any other pursuit. That life with Jesus is supremely better. God's plans and purposes for Jacob didn't come at the conclusion of Jacob getting everything right. They came at the conclusion of Jacob holding on to the only right one that could take him where he was calling him to go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for this story of identity, story of reminder. God, I pray that in these coming weeks and months uh, that you just do the work of establishing and, and cementing in our lives and in our hearts uh, a, a gospel identity of what it means to, to live boldly and, and confessionally and humbly as your family, um, boldly on mission and, and boldly serving our King in the face of so many uh, expectations and so many opinions and so many perspectives. God, train us up to walk differently, even if it's with a perceived limp, to walk differently in the world because we follow you. And remind us, Lord, of our name. Remind us that we are people, that while we struggle, we endure with the things of you. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Um, we thank you for this day. And we thank you for this time. In your name we pray. Amen.